You are now listening to the London International Christian Church Podcast.
religion is the cutting away of the foreskin there on the, on the male uh, genital. And so he got circumcised because his father was, see, Timothy needed to convert on over, but Luke never did get circumcised. So we deduce from that that Luke would not leave out such a glaring, glaring thing before he had become a disciple. You with me there? Yeah. So we remember those notes there as we dig on in. Of course, Luke is writing to a Gentile audience. That fires everybody up, of, uh, you know, that's here today on up. Because I don't, I don't see any Jews that are out there. Uh, it's pretty dark complexions if there's some Jews out there. But most of us in the audience, I think, are Gentiles. So uh, if, if Luke is writing the book of Luke, then he would be writing to you. Are you with me there? Of course, we understand the Bible is the Word of God. So if anything is in the Word of God, it is not man speaking to you. It is the voice of God speaking to you this morning. So I put that on out there just in case there was any any problems with that. Amen? Luke chapter 2 in verse 41. What is it up here? I've entitled the lesson very simply, Prepare the Way. Hear the voice of God. Prepare the way. Hear the voice of God. Luke chapter 2 in verse 41. It says, every year parents went up to Jerusalem for of the Passover. Of course, this is talking about Jesus Christ and his family to the feast of the Passover. And we understand the Passover was the death angel in the Old Testament that would pass over God's people because they would have the blood written on their doorstep and they would not face judgment. We understand in the New Testament, you need to be covered not with the blood of the Lamb physically, but with the blood of Jesus, our sacrificial Lamb. You need to be a true disciple to escape judgment. Are you with me here? And so as the death angel passed over, they celebrated the Passover. They celebrated the fact that, hey, judgment wasn't going to come on them. And we celebrate when we're disciples. Amen? You should be celebrating that you're saved today. And of course, they go down to celebrate this feast. They have a big barbecue. Now, what's interesting, is it says, uh, you, know, you, you know, historically three times a year, God's people, the Jews, were required to go to this celebration. And of course, they were to go to Jerusalem. And uh, there we say this was a meeting of the body. You say, well, where do you get the three times? Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 16. In Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 16, it says, three times a year. All your men must appear before the Lord. It's pretty clear, right? <laughs> your God at the place you will choose. At the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Wheat, the Feast of Tabernacles. I mean, they just love to have peace, did they not? I mean, it's in the kingdom of God. I remember our sister Ruby getting baptized.
they're going to travel down there to, to be with uh, a great celebration of the Passover. Uh, and for most part, this, this was a meeting of the body. You know, I, I just want to put on the heart of all the disciples. You know, I'm so fired up about the Global Leadership Conference.
something right there. You can never estimate what is being taught by the children. They, they are learning from us. They are they listen. They even the kids hear the voice of God. Are you with me here? Because everyone heard him was amazed at his understanding. They were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Of course. Why have you treated us like this, son? She's probably pulling her hair out. He says, Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. He says, Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he was saying to them in the church said, You know what I love about the way Luke sets this on up for us? Luke sets it up with Jesus being a young guy, a young child, seeing that he had to be in his father's house. So, so, so Jesus saw, even at a young age, that, that this wasn't a, I mean, you, it, it, was, it was a must opportunity for Jesus. Jesus right here says, I must be in church. You know, oftentimes, you know, we say, I gotta go to church. It's a good thing I'm going to church. We even shout it out like espresso, I'm going to church today. Okay. Well, for Jesus, he says, no, I, I, I gotta be there. It's a must opportunity. And of course, we find Jesus said the word must quite often. In Luke chapter 4, verse 43, he says, I must preach the God. He says, not I have to preach the word of God. I better preach the word. No, no. I must preach the word of God. And any disciple has that in their spirit. You don't feel that way on the tube. You don't go, I have to share on the tube. No, you go, I must share on the tube. You don't go, I have to share at my workplace. No, no, no. I must preach the word. I want to be like Jesus Christ. Are you with me here? In Luke 9, verse 22. He says the Son of Man must suffer. So Jesus understood that suffering was a part of life. Suffering is a part of life whether you're saved or whether you're better to do it with Jesus Christ. Are you with me here? He says I must suffer. He understood that pain was a part of life. And then in John chapter 3 verse 14, it says the Son of Man must be lifted up. You know, for me, I read that and I go, wow, I like that one. I love to be lifted up. <laughs> Don't we love that? Yeah. That's the part that we love. We, we love for someone to lift us up. I want to be just lifting up. Tell me I'm awesome. Tell me I'm amazing. Tell me I'm saved. Tell me I don't have to be committed. Just tell me. Fill my head. And your heart hits the And when it gets big enough, you all you start floating on into the fellowship. Feeling awesome about yourself. You know, being lifted up. Yeah. But it's often time that the voice of God is. That's a, just pop that little head there. That's what happened to me. I came to church. I heard the voice of God preparing the way for my life. I wanted to be lifted up. But it was time for me to understand that God was calling me to preach. That I must preach. God was calling me to be willing to suffer as a disciple. I must suffer. And only then, after I preach and I suffer, will I be raised on up. Are you with me, sir? You know, it's so awesome 
here seeing how Jesus was as a young person? Seeing how he heard the voice of God and knew he had, he, he had to be with his Father. You know, this week, uh, there, there's nothing more powerful in the kingdom of God than when you see the, the, the young people start to get. You know what I mean? When the young people, I mean, it's so tough to talk to the young people. Listen, not got my face, God's face. Okay, let's get there over here. It, it, it's not uh, it's, it's this book here. Tell about to the young people. It's hard. But when the young people start hearing the voice of God, you know God is moving. Yeah. You know, of course, in Luke chapter 14, it talks about giving up everything to be a Christian. It says you've got to be willing to give up everything. And we understand that from the Bible. But I got this, this encouraging story from members in our church here. Uh, little Simone, uh, of course her mother is Coral. And uh, you know Coral loves the Lord. I mean, she just comes on in. Listen, listen, you know, um, I, I've been fundraising at my school because we want Blaze and Patricia to preach the word. And um, I've been fundraising this week. I've only sold two tickets, but I've raised 77 pounds. Thirteen years old and understands the cost of sacrifice so the word can be preached. And we hear that and we go, how are we doing? How are we doing? You with me here, church? Matthew chapter 13. I'll share this with you before we dig into the verse 53. It says, when Jesus had finished these parables, he moved on to them. Coming to his own town, he began teaching the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. We're just going to get this wisdom. And these miracles, for these miraculous powers, they asked, isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his, isn't his mother named Mary? Aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? Where did this man him? Of course, this was Jesus' family. They took a big back. They were his own family. And he just says, only in his hometown is, in his own house is a prophet. Without honor. He did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. The obvious there is that Mary was not uh, a virgin forever. I mean, there was a lot of stuff you read off there, so. That dispels worshiping Mary as the Virgin Mary. No, Mary had kids. You just read all of them, a bunch of them. Okay, there's no such thing as Mary being just perpetually virgin. No, she had kids after Jesus Christ. Are you with me there? And we understand no faith. not do anything there because there was no faith. She couldn't do it herself. It was a challenge when I heard the voice of God. Because I went home to my family and I was over joy. But they thought I was out of my mind. They thought I was crazy. Because I didn't join their church. I said, Mom, it's not about your church. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? I had to be with the church that preached the truth of God. That preached the truth of God. And if that means that it would shatter the silence that's in our family, no one wants to talk about things, then I, I, I got to be willing to do that. And it was a challenge for me. My family didn't become Christians. They didn't, they didn't, it wasn't this glorious thing right away. But by faith, I believe that even with my life, living my life for Christ, they, they, they will hear the gospel. 
They will hear, and if they don't hear it by my words, I may be the only Bible that they read. We know Jesus converted his family after. The Bible says after he ascended to heaven, then his family became Christian. And that's my challenge, that we have to be willing to face the long haul of living the Christian life. And it may mean to live the Christian life till death before your family hears the call of God and becomes Christian life. What happened with Jesus' family in Acts chapter 1. Yes, it with me here? Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3. Verse 1. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod the Tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip the Tetrarch of Eturia and Trachonone, and Lysias, Tetrarch, and Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the desert. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet in the church. What's interesting is how Luke introduces it. He, he, he just comes up with all these figures in history. Of course, Tiberius Caesar, he was a, he was a Julius Caesar. Uh, and then, of course, Pontius Pilate, the governor there of Judea. Uh, all, all these incredible political, all these historic figures that Luke opens up his gospel with. And th- these, these guys were powerful, but Tiberius Caesar was, dare we say, the most powerful man on the face of the earth at that time. This was a guy who had worldwide influence. And Luke opens up by noting this particular this guy. Uh, and, and, and probably at this time, Luke, or, or John uh, the Baptist here, because of course, uh, he, he is he's getting ready to speak. His parents probably had died. And the Bible just says, uh, you know, as we get ready to read here, is that he's in the desert preaching. But w- what I notice here is that, you, you, you know, God, God there, there, there was an incredible 400, there was a 400 year from the book of Malachi to John the Baptist. 400 years, you did not hear the true voice of God. It was just silent, quiet, for 400 years. There were, the Jews of that time, they, they were in a spiritual death. They were in a spiritual death. And the scripture just says, says a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way. I mean, if you're in the desert, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta lay it all out there. You know what I'm saying? You can't say, prepare the way for the Lord. That's why I'm not gonna get this. Prepare the way for the Lord. I mean, I would like to know that John was a man who had a fire. Dare we say, had a blade in his spirit. He says, man, Every valley shall be filled in. Every mountain and hill made low. The crooked road shall become straight. The rough way smooth. And all mankind will see God's salvation in the church day. Point number one. Shattering the silence. John the Baptist, when he came with his revival message, with his sermon, he shattered the silence. He said, enough, you Pharisees. Because you have the law. God, his 
all mankind. And he's of course, Luke puts that in there because he's setting up salvation for the Jews. We understand that this is how they get saved until after. First seven years of the church, the only people got baptized was Jesus. And Jesus never called anybody a Christian. Jesus called people disciples. You guys with me there? And of course, Luke named seven different men and their world power and influence. But what's interesting is, is God doesn't use a man because he has political power. God doesn't use a man just because he's a great orator. He uses John the Baptist, who was a humble man who spoke the very words of God. Are you with me here? That's who God used to shatter the silence. Not Tiberius, Caesar, not none at all. He used John the Baptist. Just stir some things on up. And John the Baptist prepares the way. By just laying it out. I mean, his preaching was, was I mean, he's in the desert. I mean, he's just, he's there, he's preaching the word. His preaching was like, like, like this. For me, hey, probably like, just like a shotgun. In the midst of silence. Like the spiritual alarm clock. You ever had an alarm clock go off? And that's how the word of God sounded to me when I first heard it. The spiritual alarm clock went off in my heart. I'm like, what in the world is this? I've never heard this. What is this preaching? Well, God's trying to prepare the way for the Lord in your heart. He's trying to get into your heart. And you got to understand, spiritually, if you were Jewish, John came saying, you're not right with God. This is an offensive message. This is an angering message. This is a stirring message. They were right with God. It was piercing. It had to be to wake up the dead religious environment at that time. They were in a spiritual death. And John came to shatter the silence. To say, there's now a man who's going to stand by the word of God. Who's going to preach the word of God. Who's going to live the word of God and call others to obey the scriptures as well. Are you with me here? He says, hey, I'm looking for true commitment. True sacrifice. And in that spiritual desert, you gotta, you gotta wonder. There, there, there had to be people that were thirsting for the right, the right kind of message. There had to be people that were hungry for a fellowship where everyone loved one another. There had to be people out there that, 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 that they, were, they, they, they wanted to see God's people singing because they truly were joyful, not because they got it. There had to be that. You know, it was great having our mid, midweek on Wednesday night. If you were there, it, it, it was awesome. It was awesome. It was, it was great to be with the brothers. And what was awesome about it was just, you know, as soon as you walk in, I mean, the singing, the brothers were just singing out. One brother singing a text message. Of course, I don't want to embarrass Tony McMahon, but I have to do it. <laughs> Tony says, bro, amen for, for, for the preacher. I was cut at the singing. <laughs> the singing cut my heart. I mean, singing evidence is your heart. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. You know, it's always interesting you see people that come to church. I tried that one. I came to church. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't sing. I want to hear the voice of God. I'm here to hear the voice. 
That's all I want to hear. I don't, I, I'm, I'm not obviously admitting how bitter and angry and mad I am by standing here like this, but I am. I mean, singing evidence is what's in your heart. Because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. It evidences where a church is at. It evidences where an individual is at. And you got to even ask yourself this morning, are you singing? Are you singing? You know, you sing when you feel good. You're shouting, you start singing. You just start singing when you're happy. I don't think Jesus walked around depressing down on himself. I don't think John did either. Are you singing this morning? John shattered the silence. He shattered the silence in the religious environment. Verse 7. John said to the crowd, send me out to be baptized to him. Good to see you, bro. Wow, you look great today. Nice dude. No, he didn't say that, did he? You who won't flee from the coming wrath. That's a spiritual alarm clock in your life, is Whoa, what's this guy going here? Verse 8. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. He says, if there's no fruit to show you've repented, you've not repented. Some people say, well, I'm repenting. Well, that's not in the Bible. No, you, you want to enjoy your sin for a little longer. You don't find the word repenting. The Bible says repent. It's a, it's a decision. You, you change. You repent. You stop. I heard the voice of God. I said, okay, I can't look at internet pornography anymore. I stop. I heard the voice of God. Okay, I can't be bitter at my show. I can't be bitter. I need to be grateful I'm alive. I heard the voice of God. I said, I can't steal from my company. I can't, I can't be taking out my taxes and doing all this stuff like that. I gotta stop. I can't be repenting. That's enjoying your sin for a little longer. That's what John said. He said, you gotta repent. You gotta repent. And then he says, and don't say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you how these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. That is already at the root of the tree, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. And the church said, I mean, this guy is just laying it out, is he not? Wow. You know, I, I, looking at John here, I just, I think we just got to ask ourselves some questions. For those of you that are disciples, you got to ask yourself, are, are you, are you shattering the silence in your name? The silence, no one's preaching the word of God, telling people where they're at. You have the word of God, you know where they're at. Are you shattering the silence? So yeah, I shattered the silence at my neighborhood. It's great. Right, my neighbor. Right, my friend. Told them about Jesus. It's awesome. It's great. What about the silence in your workplace? Have you shattered that silence? That uncomfortable silence? You know, there's nothing more embarrassing than, than working uh, at, at an organization, and then later on you find out that a disciple reached out to him or something like that. You're a Christian, and you're supposed to. They're supposed to know you're a Christian, and then. I mean, that, that, that had to be the most embarrassing story of my life. Is when one of my coworkers says, Hey, yeah, I met one of the, the, the guys says he's a Christian. He goes to this church right here. I went, oh, really? He goes, yeah, and he's down here, this, that, and the other. I go, I'll read the address. Oh, my gosh, that's all true. 
They go, yeah, Mike, what do, you, what do you think about it? I go, I think it's awesome. I go there too. And it was just the most humiliating. He didn't even, I mean, I've been working with him forever and he didn't know I was a Christian. Oh, wow. Because wow. I didn't have the guts to shadow the sun at work. For fear that I may have to look for a new job. I mean, after all, you know, you can take that job to heaven with you. No. Are we shattering the silence at work? No. You know, I believe personally, just thinking about the term silence, and thinking about the, the, the 400 year silence of no one truly no one truly telling people where they were at. No true discipling. No true call to obedience. No true call to sacrifice. That, that silence is, is, is deadening. You know, silence, I, I believe there's a lot of silence in the world. There's a lot of silence. There was silence in my life. Say, so what do you mean? I was silent about the fact that I was abandoned. Once I was old enough to go to college and have a decent job, I masked that with having a nice car and trying to have a nice house or wear a nice suit. I want to be silent about the fact that, no, I was raised very poor, on and off of welfare all my life. Uh, my friends, my family members, most of which are drugged. I was silent about that. I was silent about my mother, who did everything she could to put God in me. But she came to a point where she didn't truly have a relationship with God and she quit. She turned to drugs. She abandoned me. I, I, I told no one about that. I told no one about the impurity, the adult bookstore I was going to. I told no one about that. I stayed silent about it. So much abuse in my family. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm talking about abuse. Children being abused. Relatives being abused. And because it's uncomfortable, we stay silent about it. And what happens is people began to suffer in silence. I suffered in silence. I mean, even my sinful nature, I mean, I, 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 was, I, was, I was in the spirit of heaven. I mean, I was doing all these bad things, and, and because I had friends that said, you're okay. But hey, it's normal to be sleeping around with a girl every other weekend. It's normal to steal from your company. It's normal. You're young. You're throwing your own. You got all the time in the world. Those things, I felt terrible about doing those things. But I didn't have the guts to be honest, to shatter the silence. I have a younger brother that uh, I love very dearly, and sadly for me, my mother, she never heard the voice of God, so she never became a true Christian, a true disciple, the way the Bible teaches. She had her own view of God and her own view of what it means to be saved, and we understand that that, that just isn't cut. You've got to go by the Word of God. You can't make up your own rules. I mean, if I come over and I get on the football field with all the brothers and start saying, well, in America, you can do a handball. I think, oh, bro, you need to go back to America. And Americans, I know, don't use the hands when they try to roll the goal on in there. You can use your feet here, bro. That's a handball. I've tried to work on any of us. Any, can I use my hands? He said, no. It's a handball. So there's a lot of handballs in her life. 
She didn't really want to go by the rule book. She never became a true Christian. And of course that brought sadness to my heart. That brought suffering to my heart. But the, the interesting thing is that the hand of God. It was, it was years later that I found out that my own mother, on top of other family members, were doing things that are very shameful to mention here publicly. Very shameful. And it made sense why she never turned herself on in. It made sense. I think people suffer in silence. And my mother sadly suffered in silence. She didn't believe the word of God could heal her. She didn't believe the word of God could heal her. I, even at times, didn't believe God could heal me from how sinful I was. And I suffered in silence. You've got to ask yourself, even this morning, are you suffering in silence? People say things. I don't trust. No, 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 no. There's a bitterness in your heart. You've been hurt. That's why you don't trust. That's why you don't trust. There's this pain in there. We all go through pain. But you've got to get over it about it. You can't suffer in silence. You can't suffer in silence. You've got to ask yourself, are you, are you suffering in silence? When we see this in marriages, why is my husband looking at internet pornography? And not spending time with me. And a wife suffers in silence. And if you watch many TV shows, they'll tell you to take Prozac. That's what you need. You need, you need Prozac. No. no, you need the Word of God. Why is my wife withholding physical intimacy from me? And you suffer in silence. You mask it, mask that suffering with turning to false intimacy. You need the voice of God to shatter the silence in your life. Why am I having these thoughts of rage? Why does my life have no purpose? What's the purpose of my life? What am I supposed to be doing here on this earth? And you suffer mentally. And it takes God to shatter the silence. That's what happened here. John came and he shattered the silence. Everyone thought they were right with God. They thought everything was okay. 400 years, no one really truly preached. John comes and says, no, you're all off. And he shattered. It takes the word of God to shatter the silence. Are you with me here, church? I encourage you to shatter the silence in your life. Shatter the silence in your marriage. Shatter the silence in your personal walk with God. I don't believe everyone in London, England drinks, drinks the way they do because they're so happy. No, I believe there's, 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 there's a pain they're trying to numb on out. And the more beers you get in you, the more numb you feel. People are suffering. In silence. We have to shatter that with the voice of God. Number two. Poisonous snake. <laughs> That's the second point. Poisonous snake. John just says here, uh, <laughs> what's he call him? He says you brew a viper. Talking to the religious leaders of the time. Talking to those who were self-righteous, not righteous in the eyes of God. Those who thought they were right with God. 
He called them a brood of vipers. He called them snakes. This is the ushering in of the kingdom of God. This is how God begins to usher in the Messiah. What a guy who's Christian in way. And for some, it was offensive. Why was it that he was down. We want a more politically correct sermon. Why are you talking about those things in the church? That's what you should be talking about. He calls them poison snakes. I'm from Los Angeles, California, but originally I'm from Africa, but that's 400 years ago. The boats and stuff like that. It didn't work out well for us for a while there. About 400 years. Um, we got Obama in there now, though, so, so we're doing a little bit better. I'm in London, England with all my Nigerian, all my African, my other brothers here from different countries, and my English brothers, and it's, it's awesome to be here. Uh, but, uh, you know, me and my wife lived in Los Angeles, California. And, of course, you've seen the famous Hollywood Hill sign, you know, this is Hollywood. Well, we actually lived right underneath. And so in the mornings, I would go up there to pray in, on, on where the Hollywood Hill is. And, and no difference in this time, John preaching in the desert. I mean, on top of where Hollywood Hill is, it literally is a desert. If you look at California, California is pretty much a desert. I mean, you got the ocean, and then the rest is a desert. I mean, it's just hot there. I mean, you just, it's so hot, you don't sweat. You just walk around, you know. It's just, it's just, just warm. And so I get up early in the morning, and that's what you do as a Christian. You get up early in the morning and pray. You know what I'm talking about, Nate? Amen? Amen, okay. Pull the shadow of silence there for you. Uh, but I got up to pray, and, and, and I was praying underneath the Hollywood sign. And when you get up at about, you know, 5.36, 5 in the morning, you get up there, it's, it's kind of dark, so you can't, there's a trail you're going up, and you get on top of this, this plateau in the Hollywood sign here. No one was ever there, so I, you know, you always want your prideful space. So I get up there, and I, and I you know how it is, you, you pray to God, and God, and then if someone comes walking, you kind of get, get it together really quickly here. Hey, how are you? They leave, and you go back to praying, you know. So, you know, I'm, I'm, God, will you do this, and God, and I'm, I'm praying. It was great. And every time I, I get up there, I heard this consistent sound. I thought it was, because there are jackals up there, different little animals that would come flying. I'd hear this little, shh, shh, Oh, that's just cool, son. For six months. I heard that same sound. What? I, I tried to look a fortune. I was like, see if I hear those bushes around. Maybe that's God. Maybe that's God speaking. In the bush, like the burning bush, like Moses. Burning bush in Los Angeles means something different than... Some looking down there. One day I get up, I come up and pray. And I, I mean, there's a sign there. No one ever went to where I used to pray. I don't know why anyone ever went there. And exactly. There's a sign. So I go up there about one o'clock in the afternoon where you can kind of see your way up the hill. There's a sign that says, Beware, rattlesnake. And I see a sign. I just, you know, I just, I just go, I, I, I go down the hill. But now we're at the next day. I got to pray. And that's the place I pray. And I'm too afraid to tell Michelle I'm scared to go pray because I think there's snakes up there. Okay, and I get up there, it's quite great, it's silence. And I pray. And I get done. I thought, and I said, okay, I'm just going to go for it. And I look over, the speaker goes, 
kind of down over the hill and kind of go like this. I just, I don't. Hey, I don't fell down. You okay, sir? There are rattlesnakes up there. I didn't want to get bit by any poisonous snakes. I did not want to get bit. I was afraid of those snakes, baby. I've got a, I've got a snake here. Oh, I almost had you there.
from those who were at one point and one time they were brothers. And now they're fighting each other. They're fighting the wrong battle. They're hitting each other with friendly fire. Instead of the real enemy, which is the devil. In American history, we understand the bloodiest war was the Civil War. That was the war that was bloodiest. So we understand that the most poisonous, and that's, that's why Judas was so poisonous to the movement. Because he was a disciple at one point. He knew what to say. He knew it all. But he hid in the hole. He was a fierce snake. Poisonous. Followers who do not want to come back to God, as Luke highlights in the prodigal son. See, the prodigal son, once he fell away, he came back. He didn't have people go running after him. He came back to his sins. You can't keep the following anything. You come back. You guys with me here? Followers can be fierce snakes. Have you been bitten by a follower? Part of the problem we try to convince us of this. Well, they're not really poisonous. They're docile. Yeah, they are. They're very poisonous. If Jesus says they're poisonous, if Judas was poisonous, how much more, more so even nowadays? When someone calls Jesus Lord, but then they fall away and they don't really want it anymore, and so they poison you with their bitterness. They poison you with their lack of trust. They poison you with their lack of trust. They poison you against God's church. And then when we get bit, we don't want to admit we're poisoned. Because we're too proud to get help. You've been bitten by a fierce snake. If you don't have complete and total absolute surrender and trust in God, His movement, and what we're doing based on the scriptures, you got to ask yourself, have I been bitten by a fierce snake? John says there's a brood of vipers. There's a lot of vipers. There's not just one. The second most deadly snake is called the Australian brown snake. One in one fourteen thousand. I don't even know what that is. It's like a half pin drop. Of an ounce of its venom is enough to kill a human being. Just a pin drop of its venom, the brown snake. The world's second most venomous snake. Of course, native to Australia. Found in Indonesia, New Guinea, some other places. Says the brown snake, when it's agitated, it holds its neck really high, appearing to be right in kind of a, an, an S shape. So it's kind of, holds it, kind of upright. What makes the brown snake different is that it will chase its prey over and over and strike it immediately over and over. It keeps striking you. It's the second most venomous snake. Hey. Well, what was the second most bit of mistake to Jesus? What probably caused the most pain? What we read earlier, Matthew, and he said he's out of his mind. His family. You know, family members can be some of the most venomous snakes that are out there. They don't strike you, strike you over and over and over again until spiritually you're poisoned. Against your own conversion. Your own commitment. You're poisoned against the Bible because of what your family has said. And we understand in Mark chapter 3, Jesus put priority of that kingdom 
over his physical family. There's been a great deal on campus. We, 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 you know, get out there and study the Bible with these young men. And God looked up Colton there for just going after with all his heart there, uh, for sharing his faith. And, and, and really, uh, going after preaching the Lord. We, we met a young man. We got him there. We started studying the Bible with him. And he got fired up. And some of you may have met him. He says, I want to make Jesus Lord. I want to go to the scriptures. And he got to this family. And they got in there. And they did it once. Then they did it again. And again, they kept striking him. And the first time he said, wow, my mom doesn't believe in baptism. Everybody who became Christians believes in baptism. I can't listen to this. I said, right, stop listening to that poison. But then he kept listening. Then aunt got involved. Then uncle. Then brother. Then sister. Then, then all these people get involved. And before you they just keep striking like the brown snake. And he had told me, you know, next Sunday I want to be there getting baptized. And he's not getting baptized today. Because he didn't poison by his own family. Yeah. You gotta ask yourself. Now, you gotta understand this, this is a little insight here. In Genesis chapter three, we understand the devil works through the serpent. In Genesis one, the Bible says everything God created was good, including the serpent. God allowed Satan to use what was good for evil. Yeah. And so I try to help you when I say, listen, your family is good, but Satan is choosing them. Don't get an attitude with them. See, this is Satan trying to block you. He didn't want to see the truth. I was poisoned by his family. The third was a bit of a mistake. It's called the tight hand snake. The venom delivered in a single taipan bite is enough to kill up to 12,000 people. One bite. Third most venomous snake on earth. Arguably the second largest venomous snake in Australia. False teaching. It's poisonous. It's poisonous, guys. It is very poisonous. She's been poisoned by false teaching. We understand that Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 through 20 says, Go and make disciples. And then baptize those disciples. Someone asked me, What about this other church I used to go to? Did they make you a disciple? No, but it seems like you're a disciple. No, 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 no. One, you got to go by the Word of God. And if you weren't made into a disciple, it means they weren't disciples. It takes a disciple to make a disciple. And this may take, but God only saves them. We make them. Disciples make them. God doesn't make disciples. You can't be made into a disciple. You just can't be, yeah, just became a disciple. No. You need people in your life. You need people showing you. You need just how they did it in the Bible. You need to be made into a disciple. And then God will save you. You guys with me there? Don't believe that, don't believe the false teaching that God makes disciples. He doesn't. We do. Praying Jesus into your heart. False teaching. Revelation chapter 3 verse 20. That's written to a church that has fallen away that needs to come back to God. That's not teaching how to become saved. 
accepting Jesus into your heart. Romans 10 verse 9. I heard that one just this week. Can you just accept Jesus into your heart? They already had become Christians. They were already on the football team. They weren't auditioning. They weren't trying to get into the team. They were on the team. Well, can I use that one? No, that's a handball. A handball, I'm sorry. False teaching. You've been told you can just accept Jesus into your heart? No, you got to go with the way the Bible says by the rule book. That may be shattered. But we got to shatter the silence. Infant baptism. Even my own son understands that was wrong. And he's an infant. Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 20. In the church, one man leadership. One man leadership. Who was the one man in the Bible? Adam. How about after Adam? Abraham, Isaac, Joseph, Moses, Joshua. Then all the different judges. Then you have Samuel. Then you have David. Solomon. In the New Testament. Peter. James, Acts chapter 21, verse 1, verse 8, Paul submitted to James. And then after James, Paul. We don't like one-man leadership because we just don't like to be. That's the one in the authority over us, that's all. Maybe they would use that authority and you've been hurt. You need to shatter that silence get open about it. But then you need to repent and get back to what Scripture teach. Okay. Hebrews chapter 6, it teaches that, hey, by constantly use training yourself, you will become mature. Maturity is not something that you, you are because you are old in the faith. Maturity is because you are mature in the faith. Maturity has, the Bible says, maturity is someone who's constantly put to the practice the first principle. So they can distinguish between good and evil. Being around a long time doesn't make you mature. In fact, if you don't know the first principle and you've been around for a long time, it shows how immature you are. And that's what the Hebrew writer says. I, you're slow to learn. You're slow to learn. Not because you can't learn it. The Bible's written at a sixth grade reading level. You just don't. You guys with me here? False teaching can be poisonous to our faith. I won't go into all the things. The last one I'll go into is false information, gossip. Man, that'll poison you. That will poison you. Just gossip. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 13. The Bible says gossip betrays confidence. But a trustworthy man keeps the secret. I mean, when you hear some gossip, gossip it, just, it just shatters your confidence, doesn't it? Yeah. Proverbs 16, verse 28. A perverse man stirs up dissension, and a gossip separates close friends. Yeah. I mean, gossip will stop you from being friends. Yeah. Proverbs 26, verse 22. The words of gossip are like coarse morsels. They go down to a man's inmost parts. You know, the world loves gossip. Yeah. Get online. There's a whole clip. You can get on here. What's David Beckham doing? What's this doing? What's David Cameron doing? Two different newspapers just so you can get two types of gossip in London. You get the gossip in the morning and you got the gossip at night. What gossip do you want? Ooh, what happened this morning? Ooh, what happened tonight? Ooh, that's a choice of morsel. You know how choice of morsels are. I mean, there's just that little, I mean, I just think about a piece of cake. You know that piece right in the middle where it's real soft? Oh. You get the frosting just over the top, just like that there, and it's a real soft. You get that piece of ice cream, that piece right there. Oh, it's awesome! You, you bite into it. Oh. oh, you feel like you're in heaven right there. And Solomon says, that's what gossip is like. It's that little piece of, we just want to see your taste, tell me. That little, that little morsel. People go online and read the gospel about us as a church because they want they, they love gossip. It's not because they love the truth. And sadly, we, we can enjoy those morsels. That's what destroyed our last movement, gossip. 
You still have brothers and sisters now. They won't talk to each other, but they'll talk to everybody else and put it online. They won't talk to each other. Proverbs 20, verse 19 says, God betrays confidence. So avoid a man who talks too much. You may have... You got brothers avoiding you a lot, sisters avoiding you. You got to ask yourself a question. You got to ask yourself, are you a gospel? We can't, we can't enjoy those things. It's poisonous to the church. It's poisonous. And oftentimes we gossip just because we're competitive with each other. We see someone, we think they're better, this, and we're competitive. We can't do that. We're the kingdom of God. The challenge is very simple. Don't be a snake. Don't be a poisonous snake. You hear something that sounds like a snake, run from it. Like I did down the hill. Amen? Number three. Humility or hostility? You guys feel Humility or hostility? Let's bring it in foreclosure. We're still milking Luke chapter 3 here. You just got to milk these scriptures. Verse 10. I love what he says here. After they did, I mean, some of these guys, they heard, they heard, they heard the lesson. And, uh, you know, you had the folks that didn't obey and didn't. But then, then you had the group in verse 10 that says, What should we do? Yeah. The crowd asked. I mean, we remember that from Acts chapter 2, right? What should we do? What does it take for one man to submit to another man preaching the word of God? What does it take for someone to go, what should we do? What takes great humility? It takes humility. You notice they weren't hostile to God. They weren't hostile to humility there. They were humble when the word of God was laid on them. Just a great humility there. There was not a hostility. I'll never forget sitting down with a, a brother kid and having my first discipleship time there. And it was literally the first discipleship time. We went to Applebee's. And this is kind of a, a restaurant in the States. And uh, it's kind of like Mando's over here. And uh, Kim had come to leave the church. And we sat down, and of course, I got to the disciples time, our accountability time. I got there, you know, the, you know, superstar fast time. I came to discipleship time about 40 minutes late, that's all. So I come rolling on in with my sunglasses on, feeling great about myself. Hey, Kim, what's up, man? No, 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 why don't we sit over here? Kim has been there for about 40 minutes. <laughs> he just goes, amen. And he gets up and he walks over to me. And I go, how you doing, buddy? Slap him on the arm there. How you doing? How you doing, spiritually? You know how it is when you're guilty and the leader's looking at you and you ask them how they're doing. You know how that is. You're guilty. How you doing? How you doing? You doing okay? You doing okay? They're like, uh, I'm doing fine. That's so how I did that. He says, well, look at me. It's okay. He sit down. He goes, you realize you are the most prideful, little arrogant little thing I've seen in a long time. Don't you ever disrespect God myself like that ever again. That was our first season. It was like, the silence had been shattered in my life. You are not the best thing since life bread. And I needed that. I needed that. 
But at first, there's no hostility there. Because of the word of God. He opened scriptures to show me, hey, you don't do this, you don't do that. You You say, why are we hostile? Turn to Romans chapter 8. Verse 1. Humility or hostility. Therefore, there is now no condemnation, this is what Paul says, for those who are in Christ Jesus. He doesn't say there's no failure. He doesn't say there's no disciple. He doesn't say there's no mistake. He doesn't even say there's no sin. He says there's no condemnation. <laughs> I mean, Peter tried to cut a guy's head off. Abraham lied. David struggled with lust. I mean, they say we're saved. He says you're not condemned. <laughs> you know, there's no condemnation. He says, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of the sin of death. For what the law was powerless to do is that it was weakened by the sinful nature. God did by sending his own son in his likeness of the sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of the sinful man is death. But the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit, no humility, to God's law, the Word of God, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are not controlled by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God is in you. Do you see that name there? And if he does not belong to Christ. Right here, of course, we see that there was a group referencing this scripture. Look at it, Luke 3. I mean, hey, some of them were very humble. Said, what should we do? Some. I believe the others weren't so humble because the Pharisees continued to persecute. Continue. Those are God. Those are supposed to be the ones that were supposed to hear the message. Easy. The religious group. They didn't. There was a hostility. We got to ask ourselves this morning: When the Word of God is displayed to you, is, is there a humility, or is there a hostility? Is there humility or hostility? When someone points out some things in the Scriptures, is there humility or hostility? When someone says, hey, no, this is what the Bible teaches on this. Is there humility? What about your marriage? Someone says, no, here's where things are at. Is there humility or hostility? He says, if there's hostility, you don't have the Spirit of God. That's what Paul says. Because you're not a disciple. That's not the response. Now, we all know we can be hostile all the time. So, it's scriptures like that that guide my thinking. If I get hostile, okay, nope, I'm going to fight both. Let me, get, let me get humble. <laughs> let me get humble. I mean, there's, there's no one I'm so more, more proud of than, than our sister Trina. She's she getting baptized today. <laughs> you know, she was over at the house yesterday, and I, you know, I was going in and out of the study, and she just asking questions. What should I do? What do you think about this? Well, man, I never learned that. Hey, that means I... And she just made it so matter of fact, yeah, that means I'm lost. Man, I'm not right with God. That means who? Yeah, I'm not right with God. I haven't been right for five years. Man, I'm far 
husband was like, man. And the girl, Michelle's in there, you know how my, my wife is. She's got this little sweet little way of going, Shattered in the silence there. You know, me, I come in like, you know, bull in a china shop. Michelle just comes in all sweet. You know? That's the reason that she's listening. It's just like, wow, what should I do? What's the, what, what, what is, hey, you got to go for it. You've got to become a disciple. That's God's purpose for your life. You've got to become a Christian. That's where you're getting baptized today. You're getting baptized today. But you got to ask yourself if the Word of God is displayed to you, whether it be humility or hostility. You guys still with me? Verse 11, John, or Luke chapter 11. Let's bring it in for a close. The last point is godly sorrow is the promise for tomorrow. Godly sorrow is the promise for tomorrow. John says in verse 11, he says, John answered the man, he says, the man with two tunics should share with him who has none and the one who has food should do the same. Tax collectors also came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect it. Then you require to, he told us. Then some of the soldiers asked him, what should we do? I mean, everybody's got a godly sorrow here. You see this? What should we do? They're not, they're not, there's a humility there. Everyone's asking, what should we do? What should we do? You got soldiers, you got tax collectors. You apply don't extort money. And don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. He doesn't tell them even that they have to give up their job. He says, just stop sitting at your job. Stop sitting. <laughs> the people were waiting expectantly. And were all wondering in their hearts. If John might possibly be the Christ. I mean, that was how incredible his ministry was. They like, man, is this, is this Christ? John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come. The thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But they will burn up the shaft with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and preached the good news to them. The word good news is where we get the word evangelize. And the Bible says he preached the good news to them. See, oftentimes you don't understand the good news until you know the bad news. It's not really good news until you know the bad news. <laughs> Once you find out the bad news, it is good news. You know, you find out that, you know, Man United, you got the trash beat out of them or something like that. You know, you find that out. Well, then you find out they won, you go, okay, maybe they're doing okay there. You know, it's good news. <laughs> you know? John preached the good news here. He preached the good news. And of course, you see these different characters have what's called a godly sorrow. The godly sorrow was the promise for the next day. Because it's only a godly sorrow that's going to get you to heaven. There are two types of sorrow. Godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. Write down 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and go study it out. Worldly sorrow is often accompanied by tears. Godly sorrow is accompanied by action. The godly sorrow says, what should we do? Not what should we feel. Not what should we think. And not talk to first. You don't have a godly sorrow. Godly sorrow says, what should we do? And when you have that godly sorrow, that's the only sorrow that will get you to heaven. That's the only promise for tomorrow. It's for us to live lives that represent men and women who have a godly sorrow. 
Repentance isn't something you do with baptism and that's it. It's not a one-shot deal. Are you with me? And so for all of us, the promise for tomorrow is really having a godly sorrow. And as John here lays out, of course, the end of Luke chapter 3, he, he goes through the whole genealogy. And what's right at the end, uh, he says that Jesus is the Son of God. Uh, some of the other accounts, Matthew gives the genealogy beginning with Abraham and then moving forward to Christ. Whereas Luke begins with Jesus, moves backwards to Adam, and then right at the end, he says Jesus is the Son of God. And what he's saying is Jesus has the legal right to the throne of David, to all the religious people. Jesus has the right. And of course, he came preparing the way for Jesus Christ. Coming full circle here, we'll get into chapter 4 next week. We've got a shadow of silence in our lives. You with me here, church? We've got to watch out for the poisonous snakes that are out there. Can't be one ourselves. There's got to be humility, not hostility. And having a godly sorrow is the promise for your family. The promise for you is the promise for tomorrow. To God be the glory. We would like to thank you for listening to that episode of the podcast. If you would like video versions of these episodes, whether it's sermon highlights or interviews, feel free to check us out on our website or view them on our YouTube channel. That's londonchurch.org.uk. That's L-O-N-D-O-N-C-H-U-R-C-H.org.uk. And for all other updates and information, whether it's services, events, or devotionals you can find all that on our website also once again we'd like to thank you for listening and we'll catch you on the next one